0: Hey, folks, it's me, Steven. And as I announced in many of the previous episodes, well, I'm currently on vacation and I'm not going to be back until July. But don't go anywhere because you're still going to get an episode of this podcast. It just won't be hosted by me. Instead, it's going to be hosted by a truly amazing individual or a group of truly amazing individuals. Just, you know, Don't go falling in love with them and leave me. Okay? Anyway, see y'all in July. Today, the part of host will be played by Ed Moore. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Hello and welcome to another all-new episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host. My name is Ed. I'm sitting today, actually, on my back porch as the sun is shining and there's a slight breeze... Now, you may hear some birds now and then. Everyone here in the neighborhood has chosen today to cut their grass. So, all the local birds are out chomping on whatever birds chomp on and cut grass. I'm looking at Volume 10 of Drifting Dragons, as drawn and written by Taku Kuobara and put out here in the U.S. by Kodansha Comics. Now, for those of you uh, that may not know... Those of you that do know, bear with me just a minute or two here. The books that we get over here in the U.S. are compilations of individual chapters as they are produced in Japan. If you want to read a particular story, like in this case Drifting Dragons, you find the weekly anthology magazine that has the rights to Drifting Dragon. Uh, they'll publish, along with you know however many other stories they're doing, one chapter of Drifting Dragons per week. Ish. Now, you know, that's it's not strict, but this is generally the formula. Then after a set number of chapters uh, for Drifting Dragons, we'll say six, because that's how many is in this volume. They compile those six into what is called a tacoban. Uh We call them over here in the U.S. volumes. They're translated. And what we get are chapters in volume 10 of 51 through 56 of the weekly anthology, Drifting Dragons Story. And that's roughly how it goes for most of the manga that we see over here. There are one-off full stories that appeared as a book, uh, but mostly in Japan. If you want to be up on the newest hotness, you pick up an anthology magazine and read the latest chapter. And then over in Japan also, like we do, they have to wait a period of time for X number of chapters to be collected in these nifty volume hardback books like we see in our bookstores. Now, Drifting Dragons. It's a story about dragons that drift. Well, sort of, actually. Uh, what it's about is the, the world is kind of a steampunk, kind of a gaslight, gas lamp era. Um, setting. Victorian lower tech but based on, like I say steam powered, actually based on dragons. There's a lot about dragons um, that the nature of dragons that they have used to power their technology. Dragons in this world are not like the King Arthur dragons. They're more like the Japanese and Chinese dragons that you'll see long and fluid and um wavy and airy and cloudy kind of things. But they come in virtually every shape and size with all kinds of face and lateral appendages and they look they look more like things that you would see undersea, like sea squirts and sea urchins and some things like that more than what we imagine going through the air. But uh physically Uh, as far as the physics are concerned, if you think about it, the ability to go through water is approximately the same as going through air, just a different medium. So there is an entire world built around these dragons, and one of the things people do in interacting with these dragons is they hunt them. They hunt the dragons for um, any number of the reasons we hunt animals in our world, sport, Uh, But more to the point, they hunt them to harvest aspects of the physical body of the dragon and make money off of it, whether it's dragon meat, dragon oil, different organs of the dragons, akin to whaling, uh, particularly what whaling used to be a century or so ago, not so much like it is now. One of the uh, they are a freelance ship so they're like an indie dragon hunting ship the Quinzaza Okay, it has a crew of 19 men and women and the crew and the ship itself the Quinzaza is what we follow in Drifting Dragons that's what the story is about is their travails in this world now Chapter 10, in volume 10, there's been 50 chapters up to this point. So a lot of things, of course, have gone on. Um, Each of these 19 members of the crew exhibit a personality type and are used in particular ways. uh, Very much in, in Japanese writing, more so perhaps than there will be here in Western writings. Every person has a particular story niche to fill, and there are a variety of niches. Uh, those of you familiar with manga and particularly familiar with anime know what I'm talking about. There are – there's the, you know, the, the hardened veteran. Uh, there's the m- mysterious interloper. There is the quiet female. There is the bubbly, laughy, youngish girl or boy, just depending uh, there's any number of adult tropes that are filled, you know. So each of these different tropes to to round out a a good story uh, availability make up these nineteen characters. Now there's six chapters in this volume. Two of the chapters, the first two, have basically one setting. The middle two, another setting, and the last two, a third setting. The first setting, the first two chapters, involve all 19 members of the crew. Something has recently happened that the Quinzaza has found itself both destroyed, but also now positively beholden to the largest airship manufacturer in the world. While they're Virtually, utterly destroyed airship is being repaired and probably updated. We don't know that for sure, though. The crew of the Quinzaza have been invited to a a festival gathering being thrown by the owners of this new company that they are now a part of. As I said, they were previously indie dragon hunters. So they, they lived off of how much money they were able to make from their most recent dragon that they were able to turn over. Now, uh, they can live a little bit more freely. They're kind of paid in advance, kind of. But uh, either way, that's that's a change in the the philosophical makeup of how they work. That's not important right now. They're They're at this gathering. And ultimately, this gathering descends to a... Battle of the Chefs. Now, eating is very big in this particular manga. It's not it's not a food manga, like you'll see described, but eating is very important, uh, so much so that there are four, I believe in this issue, I don't have them open to them, but there were four recipes in this book, and there are anywhere from three to five to six recipes per volume. It's kind of cool using dragon meat, of course, which we we don't really have here. So I'm I'm not sure what you substitute for dragon meat, but that's what all the recipes have in them. But the the quinzaza has its own uh, a couple uh, cooks attendants, and then the cook, the deacon. He is an older man, mustachioed, very prim and proper. Uh, you would kind of envision that perhaps he has a um, french or italian cooking background in in our world so he he cooks for the crew of the Quinzaza. well everyone is gathered at this particular city now and there's a there's a huge spread and of course our dragon ship crewmates who are used to to existing very basically okay because you you know you're you're in the air, hunting dragons and um, carving up butchering dragons and and everything. So you may not be on the ground. You may not be somewhere where anybody else is for months at a time. Again, kind of like the whaling vessels used to be. So their food, their meal production is much more spartan when they're out on uh, hunting than when they're grounded for whatever reason they may be grounded. So ultimately they compare. You know, wow, we, we don't get to have anything like this aboard ship or, you know, wow, on ship this is always so much better than it is here. Well, because the, you know, the, the dragon loin is fresher there than, you know, those, those kinds of conversations. But there's a big throwdown here because the ground-based chef that has prepared this extravagant meal is nearby when some of the members of the quinzaza crew are n- disparaging the food ultimately there's a back and forth between the ground chef and his people the quinzaza's people their the crew who then get their chef the Dakin, involved he I'm sorry not thedeken Yoshi I'm sorry, I apologize. Yoshi is the chef. Yoshi comes over, um, the ground-based chef who, he has a name, but I forget what it was. I apologize. It apparently didn't stick here. Taking a quick look, they really didn't name him, but he comes up on some of the members of the crew, disparaging the cooking um, they have a little back and forth and ultimately it is the ground chef that suggests that they have a cook-off. Um, not the crew, not Yoshi, but the, the main chef of the, the city here where they're at. So they have a cook-off and the, everyone that is in attendance at the party are the judges. Ultimately it's a tie boat. But Both Yoshi and the proper chef partake and complement each other's cooking as part of this. So after all of this back and forth, basically everybody is still, you know, on the on the same level. There's no winner. There's no better food, lesser food, anything. It's uh, first of all, it's a matter of preference, of course, just like any food. But nobody wins. Now, while all of this is occurring, another member of the Quinzaza crew. Uh, Vanny, sets off on her own. She is the the quiet, mysterious female probe, meme, whatever you want to call it. And so over the course of the previous 50 chapters, we've seen a little bit about her. We know that she comes from a country that is experiencing civil war right now. It's been hinted that she is perhaps involved in why the war occurs But we don't know that for sure. So she wanders off on her own. She's not interested in eating. She, she eats to survive. You know, she doesn't, has never shown to particularly enjoy it. Um, There are certainly things that she won't eat, but when she does, it's not a big deal to her. She's always very quiet, very dour, but not mean to people. She's very kind, uh, Rather than being, you know, mean-spirited or anything like that, it's almost like she is no-spirited, right? Like she's she's just empty or hollow inside. She's wandering around the town, encounters one of the other crew, uh, a male member who likes to imbibe. And he's out searching for the best beer that this city has. And they run into each other in a back alley kind of in passing, but they decide to... Sit down and take a moment and rest and talk. Nothing really is done or said, you know, of significant. He gets up to go find him some more beer. And when he comes back, Vanny's gone. She said she would wait for him. She's gone. He immediately goes back and tells the rest of the crew that, you know, hey, I met up with Vanny. We were chilling. I turned for a minute. and When I came back, she was gone. I've looked for her. I don't know where she is. This doesn't feel right. If she said she was going to wait there for me, she would have. So something's up. So now the crew gathers and they start talking to people and they find out that she was last seen being escorted onto this one particular uh, airship that people saw, you know, over here and people described it, and they went to the control tower that controls the airship movements around the city and asked, you know, hey, do you have any information? You know, kind of like a a flight plan uh, for a particular airplane that we would pursue now if we were looking for it. They said, yeah, it took off at this time and headed in this direction. The flight plan said for this island. Well, this island is the home island that Vanny is from, that is currently in the midst of a civil war. So, they assume that she has been hijacked, has been kidnapped, uh, human trafficked, to be taken to this island and sold back because that's where she's from. They can't really do anything because their ship is under heavy repair, so they talk to their new contacts. And they are given the use of a new experimental airship named the Froyo Mark I. The Froyo is a much smaller ship. They're only going to be able to take five people with them. So there's a little in and out and up and down as far as who is going to go. And ultimately, the crew is selected. It is going to be Gibbs, Maine, Jiro, Mika, and Oaken. Now, Again, all of those different people have a different story purpose. Uh, The one in particular to watch is Mika. Mika has shown himself to be the most enigmatic, best dragon fighter on this ship. He's a relatively youngish guy, you know, say mid to late 20s. Excellent shape, good looking. All the women are all about him. Keeps to himself, though, but when it comes to figuring out how to capture, kill, whatever to acquire a dragon, he is the best at it. He also has a taste for nearly only dragon flesh. Dragon is about the only thing he will eat. Now, if it's, you know, if the supplies are very low and there is absolutely nothing else, he knows he has to eat to keep going, so he'll, he'll shovel something down, but seldom, you know, typically he'll wait until the dragon stores are uh, stocked back up and he'll eat flesh. He loves it, dreams about it, uh, fantasizes about it, you know, the, the whole nine yards. He is the main one to watch in this story. Most of the stories, if they don't revolve around him, they hinge on him. Now, in the process of setting this new uh, ship, this prototype, actually, into the air, as it's being removed from its hangar and and moved outside to where it can actually take off, it's being handled uh, by line uh, rope by people like the big balloons at the Macy's Day Parade. You know, they walk them around. And when they get outside and, and the crew has the opportunity to take control of the ship. Everything about the ship is brand new, and so it's not as smooth as you would like it to be. And in the the turnover of the handlers moving the ship out and the ship taking off, one of the handlers, another crew member, Takita, she gets caught up and unfortunately has to be hauled aboard the ship as well. So the ship that normally can crew five now has to crew six because she is there accidentally. So... There's a little bit of back and forth in the story, you know, about that. And uh, the next, so the the Vanny and the food competition are the first two chapters, the first third of the book. The middle third are the crew members getting used to the Froyo Mark I. And as they're going around doing different things, we, we as the audience, uh, get a tour of the different things and the different aspects of the ship that perhaps the uh, Zaza doesn't have and the new things and how they work and how everything fits together. It's kind of like a, uh, almost like you've been taken on a tour of like, say a tiny home, right? Because that's the difference between the ship that they have, which isn't the biggest ship by any means, but it is, you know, large enough to crew 19 people comfortably to this one that can crew five people. And that is not looking at, the space that they have, that's not necessarily comfortably, but that is the minimum number of people that is required in order to operate this this boat. So that's the, the trade-off. So we see that. We see these people interacting. We get some character development perhaps from a couple of the characters that they haven't had a chance really to focus on too much up to now. Well, now they really are because there's just the six of them. Um they ultimately get to the island nation that Vanny's from. And that begins the final third of this book, the last two chapters. And if I can get it here quickly, the island nation's name is not coming to me, and I don't see it here quickly, but they make it and they land. Okay. Because they... Um, are looking for Vanny. They have found a way to track her. And it is, uh, I, I forget exactly what it was. It's something that she's carrying on her person that they determined is giving off some sort of signal that they can that they can track. I don't think that that's originally what the intent was. You know, it's like a piece of jewelry she has or something she wears in her hair, something like that, given to her by her parents, actually, it turns out. Um, and they found that they can track her using this you know, uh, setting uh, their uh, devices on a particular frequency and they get this bounce back from it or something. So they're tracking her and uh, they realize, you know, she's on her island, on her home island, on the ground. So they need to land. Well, as soon as they do, they encounter an environment. uh, They land in the capital city or just outside the capital city. They don't want to necessarily get too, too close because... They know that there's a civil war going on in the, the capital city, which is also uh, where Vanny ultimately is from. Well, that's going to be, you know, probably pretty fought over. Um, so they're trying to keep their distance, but trying to track her. And they encounter an environment that struck me a lot like the uh, trench warfare from World War One is often described. Okay, very misty, smoky, murky, swirling atmosphere kind of environment that kicks a couple of the crew members down. And while they're the others are realizing what is going on, they start to succumb to whatever is in the atmosphere. Ultimately, they are saved by a rebel group that is patrolling, sees that they don't have the proper respiratory equipment, gets it to them and saves them, takes them back to the the rebel side of the lines, as it were. Well, all of this atmospheric disruption, they find out, is due to the fact that right after the initial onset of the revolution, a huge dragon crashed into the city. Because it was time for the dragon to mate. And it just fell when the time came wherever it could. Uh, I guess maybe the thought is it can use the city to make a nest for itself. But in doing that, it released pheromones to attract mates. This pheromone is very, very thick and very potent. Poisonous. Um... Deadly in a way to human beings. Um, the longer you breathe it, you go through feeling poorly to hallucinating to ultimately there are people now, of course, they don't know because the situation has not been completely removed yet. So they don't know the ultimate outcome. But there are those people that were exposed long enough that they are in a dream state that they cannot pull them back from. Typically, some people with lighter exposure, they ultimately can wake them up. There are those people that were exposed long term that they have not been able to wake up. So they believe that what happens is they will fall into this dream state and and never wake up. They will either be uh, kept alive artificially or they will just die because they're not aware enough to eat and, and drink and do those things to maintain themselves physically. And we see this over several panels, several pages, because there are wards of these people in these various states of recovery from exposure to dragon pheromones. I I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, So that is the first five chapters. Now, the final chapter, we catch up to Vanny, who was um, captured. That's kind of a loose word, but... Vanny, we find out, is the daughter of the ruling family of this country. Now, she left under circumstances that will probably be explained in uh, forthcoming chapters as we're really delving into Vanny's story. And that's V A N N I E. I don't know if I'm enunciating well enough, but it's Vanny. And at, at this particular time, at this particular point in this revolution, The members of, I don't think it's the ruling family, actually. I believe what has happened is all the members of the ruling family have died. And the people that are in charge, the the council, you know, the king's council, if you will, knew that Vanny was out there. Sent out feelers to try to find her and bring her back because they need to lead the people, an actual member of the ruling family, to give weight and credence to the edicts that they are handing out. So, Vanny was located. She was taken into custody, I guess would be the word, and taken to the um, official country royal side of the revolution. Okay, those that were in charge of the country prior to the revolution. So, we see now a little bit more about Vanny. Even though she is just there, she is put in charge uh, of having to make some decisions. and, And she. She takes on that mantle. She, she understands who and what she is. By the end of that sixth chapter, we see that her sister, a younger sister, has been exposed to the dragon pheromones and has succumbed. We don't know to what extent she has succumbed. But we do see, ultimately, that what happened is when the revolution started, Banny and her sister made an attempt to get away. More to the point, Vanny made an attempt to get her sister out of harm's way, and something happened, and her sister got caught up. Vanny was the one that made the transportation to get away and ultimately got away. Now, all through the Drifting Dragon storyline, we now see that the reason that Vanny has been so hollowed out was because her life was her little sister, whom she quote-unquote, had to leave behind. And so nothing about who or what she was had been successful. Her little sister, who was her world, got left behind and she got out, even though Vanny wanted it the other way around. And that is where the uh, volume 10, these six issues of Drifting Dragons, ends for us. Drifting Dragons is an ongoing. Uh, it comes out every couple months, bimonthly or uh, perhaps quarterly. Just depends. Also, those of you that may be more astute uh, in the ear recognize Drifting Dragons as having been a Netflix animation. Okay, there was a, an English anime for Drifting Dragons released by Netflix uh, probably what, right before the pandemic, I think. So that's two or three years ago. Of about 13 episodes, and uh, for what they choose to transition from manga to anime, it's very faithful, but you can't do everything because there will be those anime episodes that are very slow and plodding and and ponderous, and uh, visually, that is not something that you can have nowadays, that you're, you're... uh, animation will not be a success if that's what you have. Manga, and of course in prose, you can get away with it a little bit more uh, because the you don't have to illustrate, animate everything, right? Between pages and everything like that. You can just have a page turn and your page turn is three weeks in time, right? In visual media, you can't... the I don't know. you're just you're not allowed to do that. The the consumers won't allow you. They have to see everything that occurs. So uh, so what you do is you, you pick and choose story elements and, and that's what you show. And if you're not familiar with the manga, they tie those elements together and so you think it, it appears as a coherent story, although if you read the manga or the prose that it's adapted from, you see there are huge swaths of things that they don't even broach. They never talk about. and A lot of times, that kind of stuff is more character development, um, situation development, things like that, backstory. So, those are a lot of times the things that you don't see. In anime, they do it um, off the cuff. You know, as they're going through and doing things, they're filling in those gaps that you need rather than giving you the entire complete story. But uh, for those things that they did adapt, it was very well done. The art was very much like the art for the manga. I don't believe it was done by the same person, but it was very, very similar. Um, The story elements were that they chose were very good. So I, I would recommend if... A manga is not your thing. That's fine. It's in black and white. It reads funny. It uh, You know, I, I get that, people that don't enjoy it. Uh, if you do like animation, I would definitely re- recommend the Drifting Dragons Netflix. It's 13 episodes. They're about a half hour, if I recall, each. Six, seven hours of your time, and you've gotten uh, probably the first... Five, three, three and a little bit of the volumes in that one season of Honor. So I think that's a pretty fair uh, trade-off. No idea how long this is going to go. Uh, as I said, it's still going strong in Japan in the anthology magazines. This most recent volume, Drifting Dragons Volume 10, I got last month as I record this. So probably in the previews that I've got in there next to my bed to go through. The next volume of this will be there. Those would be the books for uh, June, July, August, coming out in August. Uh, There should be a volume before that, but either way, uh, July or August will be volume 11 for this, if you want to look for it. If anything I have said has interested you at all, um, this right now is one of my top, uh, probably three manga that I read. There's about 15 to 20 manga that I read regularly, and I pick up new ones as frequently as a new one interests me. I'm I'm constantly looking. Um, I want to, as much as I can, transition from American comic books to manga. I find manga much more interesting, better value for the price as well, but that's just me. You may not feel that way, and that is perfectly fine. So, I believe... That is everything. Oh, let me give me an idea of like the recipes here. There's a couple in the back. We have a recipe for dragon curry tagine, and one for dragon lemonato. Now the other two recipes, which I probably won't be able to find them quickly flipping through here, but they were recipes for the two dishes that were used in the first third of the book in the food uh, battle between the uh, uh, Zaza's uh, chef and the big fancy ground chef. Here they are. Our uh, dragon um, hunters had fried dragon tail. That's what their chef prepared. The fufu chef prepared dragon tail roti and crouté. And that's what those are the two dishes that all of the attendees of the big banquet had to choose from as to which was the best. And uh, there is a, a panel that takes up a full page top to bottom of the table uh, that incorporated the spread of food that was here for all these people, a lot of food. So I really like the way it's set up. Uh, the the Tacoban, the volume here, tells you the chapters, 51 through 56. It's got our crew, um, all of them little uh, Headshots and their names so that you can keep them straight. And then, like I said, it's got uh, four. This one has four. Sometimes there's like six uh, recipes for how to produce dragon dishes. Like, that's what's a short one here? The fried dragon tail. The ingredients are dragon tail meat, garlic, ginger root, half an apple, sake, soy sauce, cornstarch, frying oil, and lemon. Now, I don't know could be, you know, I've never really checked into it, but it could be a substitution for dragon tail. Like in this case, maybe like pork one, uh, looking at the way that it's prepared. And then the dragon tail roti on crete, dragon tail, Sifi gram, um, balak. That might be more like a, a steak type preparation. So... Uh, I've never looked to see what the substitution is for the dragon meat in this book. I'm not even sure if anybody has really sat down to figure it out yet. But it's interesting to see. And, and food is like the second or third biggest theme in the book. Um, I definitely would say the it's definitely character development and, and all of these different people and where they come from and how they interact. I think that would be the primary purpose of the storytelling the second is to introduce you to the dragons and to show how big a part of this world dragon is and all the different things that you can do with dragon and the elements taken from dragons like the the propulsion for the airships is a calcified portion of like the dragon brain or something like that that generates some sort of magnetic field that's how the dragons themselves stay afloat so If you can find those, that would be how you keep your airships afloat as well. Um, Dragon meat, dragon oil is a a much sought after uh, place, especially by those towns that don't have access to dragon hunting facilities. You know, just like uh, whaling ships, there are certain towns that were set up to be able to work on the ships and things like that. But then there were other towns that they had nothing. They relied completely on import of, of these things so definitely aspects uh, like I said of the early 19th century early 20th century whaling culture here uh, in, in the well on, on our coast in particular I'm not familiar too much with other countries uh, a very Victorian-esque gaslight uh, steam punk gas lamp kind of world that we live in very interesting fun um but so okay so i think that is uh pretty much everything that i was wanting to say um i know you're listening there in the background somewhere uh stephen so i'll end it here and you can continue now bye bye daddy bye bye daddy good job <laughs>